You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Hope Church Frankfurt. If you want more information about our church, text HOPE23 to 55498. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Maybe I've shared before, but we are big fans of the show Survivor. And uh, when she was pregnant with Hudson, we would stay up sometimes till 2, 3 in the morning. And that's really funny if you know me, because now I can't stay up past like 7. Like I'm falling asleep. I almost fell asleep on the drive home last night. You know what I mean? Like it is... It's one of those things, but we were staying up all night and we were just watching Survivor and we were super into it. And if you know anything about Survivor, you know that it's extremely important if you can make a fire. If you can't make fire, right, then you can't boil water, you can't drink water, you can't eat food, you can't stay warm. So that's really, especially in the earlier seasons, that was such an important thing that they had to get the fire going. And if you could have the fire going, then you were a really important person. In fact, I remember specifically there was one season that they kept somebody just because this person got a lot of wood and kept the fire going. Like that was the the reason why they're like, hey, they're always out getting wood and I don't have to get wood. So let's keep them around, right? Like that was a relational show. If you don't know anything about it, you vote people off based on basically anything you want arbitrarily. So this person was able to hang around because they got a lot of wood and they essentially kept the fire going. And if I can make this connection, just as it's extremely valuable as someone in Survivor who can start a fire and keep the fire going in our relationships, it's extremely important to have somebody who's going to kindle the fire and rekindle the fire and keep the relationship rolling. That's why the title of our message this weekend is Kindle. This is the series we're in the next two weeks today and next week we're going to be talking about relationships. And today, as you can see, we're talking about rekindling strained relationships. And I don't mean in terms of just romance, although I think, you know, that's a part of what do you think about when you think about kindling, but I mean in, in terms of our families. So here's a, a few quick statistics for you. You can go ahead and throw up the, this statistic. 40% of families right now are dealing with some sort of, some sort of estrangement. Right, So 40% of us, four out of 10 families in the room today, you either have a relative, a family member, you yourself are the person who is completely estranged from your family. No one, uh, you don't talk to anybody, you don't have any relationship from them, you're, you're, you're moved away from them. You potentially haven't spoken to these family members in months or maybe even years. They've been cut off. And there's a cracking that's happening in America, and it's specifically happening in our families. One reason is David Brooks, the author, who's an author, and he's a New York Times commenter. He says this, Practices that seem like normal parenting to one generation are conceptualized as abuse, overbearing, and traumatizing to another generation. I'm sure you've experienced these things just as I have, right? When you're communicating with your family, you're communicating and you're saying, hey, I don't really get what you're saying. I don't know what you're saying. Like, have you ever been in a conversation with someone in your family and you're just like, you just don't get it. Come on, right? Where you're like, you just don't understand or you don't really understand. Like, you don't get where I'm coming from. There's communications issues that happen all the time. And then sometimes, I don't know about you, but it can feel like we're speaking a different language when we're talking to people, right? Especially from the different generations that we're a part of. We're not speaking the same language. We're not talking in the same verbiage you know like you're saying bet what does that even mean right all right bet what are we talking about here i thought gambling wasn't cool you know what i mean like i don't understand like 
What do you mean, right? Like we're speaking different languages. We're having different conversations. The things that they talk about don't make any sense to you. And a lot of times families fall apart and and what you're seeing, these are the top reasons why families fall apart right now. I'm going to read them off. Abuse, infidelity, addictions, rebellion, financial struggles, control issues, thought differences, political differences. All of these difficulties are not new to the world. These are reasons why people have been angry with their family forever. All these difficulties are, are, are here and they're creating larger and larger gaps in families. Let me give you the definition of estrangement from Webster's Dictionary, just kind of for food for thought. It says this, the state of indifference in which there had been formerly love, affection, and friendliness, there is now a condition of moving love to hate, marital bliss to divorce, mutually satisfying relationships to things that have been wrecked by stress, rushing, and complete disconnection in relationship. So if you're here today and you've dealt with any of the things that I've mentioned, you feel like in your family, no one can understand you. You feel like you're not speaking the same language. You feel like there's a disconnect, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's hurt, there's abuse. I want you to know that you are not alone. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, I believe that there's a solution to this problem. I believe that there's a solution to this problem that we're finding in our families, this estrangement, these hurts and these pains. The Bible is full of examples of people who have been hurt and were estranged from their family, from God. I'm going to just kind of read a few of them. Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve were completely estranged from their family, from God when they what? When they sinned. So God separated from them. He no longer walked with them. They were cast out of the garden. Cain killed his brother Abel, right? Because he was liked more. He killed his brother Abel and then Cain was cast out of society and he had a tattoo on his face that God said, if anybody kills him, you're going to have to deal with me, right? So he was cast out of society. Jacob and Esau, they were estranged by each other because Jacob stole Esau's blessing. He also stole his birthright. And then Esau being the stronger, bigger man said, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob ran for it and left. Hosea and his wife were constantly estranged as she leaves to go back and sell herself into prostitution again and again. And God says, go back and buy her. The apostle Paul, he's estranged from one of his disciples, John Mark, the author of Mark, right? He, he's estranged from him because he says, quote, you're a mama's boy, is what he basically says to him in the scriptures. He says, you're homesick for your mom, leave. I don't want to deal with your complaining anymore, Right? It dealt with even the Apostle Paul. I could go on and on and on and on about people who have been strained in difficult relationships. This is not something that's new. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's over. Just because it's distant doesn't mean it's dead. I want to give you a few different perspectives this morning for your consideration as we're looking at these estranged relationships, these relationships that have been put on a lot of pain and hurt. Let's take a look back at one of the most famous stories in the Bible in Joseph, right? You may be familiar with Joseph, but if you're not, his story takes place in the book of Genesis between the chapters of 37 and 50. And I'm just going to kind of give you a little brief overview of what happened, right? So Israel 
is the father of, of Joseph. Jacob is the father and, and is, Isaac has two sons, right? And so Isaac has Jacob and Esau and Jacob is the father basically of the Israelites, okay? So Jacob has two wives, one wife he really loves and one wife he doesn't. And the wife he really loves, uh, he has a firstborn child with her and his name is Joseph. So Joseph is the favorite son. He's the one who gets everything, right? Like he gets a Louis Vuitton coat of many colors. You know what I mean, right? And all the other brothers just get to work in the field for free, right? Like he gets everything, right? Like he's the favored one. And, and Joseph, you know, there's a lot of family dynamics that are happening here. Two moms, brothers, and it's a rough time, right? And Joseph is not the, I mean, he, he's a dreamer. He's, he's a guy that's full of faith, but is he the wisest? No. Okay. So he has some dreams where he goes, Hey dad, I had a dream. You're going to bow down to me. And all the brothers are going to bow down to me. You're going to worship me. Right. It's like, listen, you can't control your dreams, but you can control saying something at the breakfast table that gets you punched in the mouth. Come on somebody. You know what I mean? Right? Like, I don't know what you, it's just like, um, Hey Joe, not a smart decision, buddy. You know what I mean? Like you should have been thinking about this, but he says this and then his brothers hate him. They hate him so much. In fact, one time it says that this guy who's favored, Joseph, is coming out to see his brothers in the fields and they all start devising a plan. Let's kill him, right? Let's just kill him. And, and Judah, one of his brothers, God bless him, says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery, okay? A lot better, right? I mean, definitely better than killing him, right? Your own brothers are sitting here like, we're going to kill this. No, let's just sell him into slavery. So Joseph is sold into slavery and his life is changed forever. What happens is he gets sold into slavery and he gets appointed to work for Potiphar. Potiphar is one of the people who's under Pharaoh. And Potiphar's wife had a, had a problem with lust. And she said, I love Hebrew boys and I cannot lie. And she went after Joseph, okay? And he ran away from her. And then she said, he was trying to sleep with me, but it wasn't the truth. He gets put in prison. So while he's in prison, he's this dreamer. He can interpret dreams. He tells a butcher and a baker, he says, you're going to die. You're going to go up, right? And sure enough, one of them head cut off the next day. The other one gets freed. And he says, listen, when you get up there, the only thing I ask, remember me, right? He doesn't. So he's in prison for all these years. Finally, Pharaoh starts having dreams. And then Pharaoh says, who can interpret my dreams? So he brings in all the snake people and, you know, weirdos. And he's just like, all right, interpret my dream, right? They cannot figure it out. All of a sudden, the baker says, hey, wait, there's a guy who interpreted my dream. His name's Joseph. He's in prison. He brings him up. Joseph interprets the dreams of Pharaoh and he talks to him about the famine that's coming into the land, how there will be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And at that moment, Pharaoh takes off his ring puts it on Joseph's finger, making him the second most powerful man in the world, right? He goes through this crazy story. He goes through this crazy arc. I mean, I just really summed up a ton of the Bible and really, really quickly. If you want to go and read it for yourselves, it's, it's a really powerful thing. But the point of it is, I want you to know that Joseph went through all of that, right? He went through everything. And then what happens is his brothers end up having to come to him. Because of this famine that Joseph saw, his brothers are ending up with their father out of food and nowhere to go. So where do they go? To Egypt to get food. And they stand right in front of their brother. They stand right in front of their brother. Can you imagine this moment for Joseph? 
He's been separated from his family and he has all of the right to do whatever he wants. And he kind of messes with them a little bit, you know, not to bury the lead. If you haven't done the story, he kind of says, no, I want my younger brother. Cause again, he wants the brother of his mother, not any of his other brothers who wanted to kill him. He messes with them a little bit, but ultimately what happens is he accepts them, embraces them and brings his father to Egypt and gives them their own separate land. And look at what Joseph says to them eventually in Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 19. We're going to read it. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. So then do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he rest assured and spoke kindly to them. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. When he sees his brothers, he's 39 years old. He's been separated from them for 22 years. When he spoke those words, right that you see right there, I believe healing happened in his family. He took a step forward. He had the power, he had the authority, and honestly, he had the right to punish them. They sold him into slavery. He had the right to punish them. But he doesn't. Instead, he forgives them. And that's what's so difficult about family because family a lot of times provide us with our greatest joy, but also our greatest hurt at the same time. Greatest joy and our largest pain. Let me ask you a question. Have you been or could you be the Joseph in your family? Are there events in your family's history that still need healing? What do you need to do to forgive someone in your relationships? What words do you need to speak like Joseph did to bring healing? Getting hurt is a part of life. It is just reality. You will get hurt by other people. What's the phrase? Hurt people hurt people, right? All of us in the room have been hurt one way or another. Unintentionally or intentionally, you will be hurt by somebody else. And honestly, I want to say this. Our offendability reveals our maturity. Our offendability reveals our maturity. So often, we're so offended by any little thing. Anything that happens, I'm offended, I'm offended, I'm offended. I'm, it reveals our lack thereof of maturity. If we're extremely easily offended, a lot of times we're not very mature. And listen, I get family life is hard and it's difficult, but God does not just want us walking around with perpetual hurt. He wants us to walk around in freedom. He wants you to be whole and complete in him. And I want to encourage you to take the long view. There's a couple of perspectives. And the first one is this, take the long view. Life is a journey. You will be related to your family for the entirety of your life, whether you like it or not, right? You are stuck with them, unfortunately, or fortunately, right? Rather than abandoning them or looking for revenge, what if we took Joseph's perspective? And you might be thinking, Jeff, you don't know my family. You don't know 
you don't know my wife, you don't you don't know my people, you don't know uh, you don't know them. You're right. I don't. And sometimes relationships can be destroyed beyond repair and there's healing that needs to happen there separately. But I'm not speaking about healing and forgiving and moving forward. I'm speaking about forgiveness in your heart that you need to have. I get it. It can be hard. I get it. Life can be difficult. But what about if we trusted God? Check out what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter, chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. He says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Not only that, but check this out. Here it is. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. If we take this perspective of our hurt, of our offense, and we say, listen, I'm going to take it and I'm going to look at it in the way that Paul is saying, I'm going to rejoice in my sufferings. What happens when you rejoice in your sufferings? You release, in my opinion, the bondage that it's on you and you put it on God and you allow God to use it. Knowing that the world meant for harm, God uses it for good. Knowing suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character does not disappoint. Offense is but for a moment. God's grace is for a lifetime. The first perspective is the long view because God can use this. I wanted you to know that look at this span of Joseph's life, 22 years. That's a lot of hurt. How many conversations do you think he had with himself? Imagine him in prison, just etching his brother's names as he's just doing push-ups and sit-ups. Like, man, I'm going to just punch Judah right in the mouth. You know what I mean? Like, no, he didn't. He saw them and he embraced. He gave them favor and they grew. He took the long perspective. When we play the long game, we're in a relationship for so long. When you look at your life, so many times offense and hurt can be for just such a short time. And we can get over it. How many of us have you worked through things that you thought in the moment, I will never get over this? Have you ever said to yourself, I'm never getting over this? I'm never getting over this. I'm never getting over this fight. I'm never getting over this. But then what happens? Time. And if you can stay together and stay committed and stay fighting together as a family, time can bring healing. And God can bring healing. And listen, a lot of times when you talk about relation, relational things, I feel the need to just give so many caveats because I know there's like, yeah, but what about this? But what about that? But what about this? And there's all these caveats out there. I understand that. But what I'm speaking to is what can God do if we truly surrender our relationships to him? What healing can he bring? 
The first perspective is the long view. The second perspective is this, take the grace view. Take the grace view. Looking back at Joseph, he could have easily done all of these things, put his brothers in prison. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he didn't. He didn't let anger control him. He let grace control him. Not only were they forgiven, but they were blessed. They grew in such number that many years later, that's when slavery happens with the Egyptians. They say, we can't let these Israelites keep spreading. They're growing so quickly. We can't let that happen. Right? So they were blessed and favored. How did, how did Joseph do this? I really want to get into practically how did he do this. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. And I think this kind of gives us a little practical understanding. Look at this, Paul. This is his charge to the church. This is very, very intentional. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all type of evil behavior. Get rid of it. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Because I'm forgiven, that's why I forgive. Without forgiveness, my relationships with everyone I know would be an absolute disaster. Without forgiveness, my relationship, my marriage would be a disaster. My relationship with my son would be a disaster. Without forgiveness, our church would be a disaster, right? You've been into places before. Don't lie to me. You've been into places before where you're like, bitterness is palpable. You can feel it. You're like, eee, we're all walking on eggshells here, right? Like everything's a little frustrating. Nobody likes anybody over here. Come on, somebody. You've been in a room like that, right? And it's difficult. We got to bring grace into those situations. If we allow bitterness and hurt to ruin our lives, it grows up and spreads. Bitterness is one of those things that spreads like wildfire. One person who is extremely bitter can just corrupt so many people. It spreads into every area of your life, everything in your life. We have to get rid of all bitterness. And I feel like some of us in this room, as I was writing this message, I felt like some of us in this room at the end, we need to repent of the bitterness that we have, that we hold against people. And I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to speak here in the message, but I really believe that. And there's some that I'm going to be repenting of at the end of this message. But I really felt like the Holy Spirit was like, I want you to give them an opportunity because there's some people in the room who are dealing with bitterness that they refuse to let go. And I've been knocking at their heart, telling them, you got to let this go, but they won't. So you're going to give them an opportunity. We're going to do that. But I want you to check out this quote by Tim Keller. He recently passed away. One of just an incredible pastor and author. He said this, Forgiveness is a diminishing ethic in our judgmental culture. In the midst of the rising tide of estrangement, perhaps the only thing as countercultural as parents forgiving their children is children forgiving their parents. Check this out in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It says this, Look after each other so none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up and trouble you, which corrupts many. Look after each other so that 
none of you fails to receive the grace of God, what happens is the root of bitterness can corrupt us and it steals forgiveness in our culture. Steals forgiveness. And one of the most beautiful things that I think about about Joseph is he's a shadow of Jesus. Joseph is completely a shadow of Jesus. If you remember, what were Jesus's final words on the cross? Luke chapter 23, verse 33 through 34 says this, when they came to the place of where the skull was, that's where they crucified him. The skull is Golgatha. The skull is Calvary. It's just a different version of it, right? So they came to the place of the skull where everyone was crucified. They crucified him, him there along with the criminals, one at his right and the other at his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Here's the thing. We are most like Jesus when we forgive. And I want you to understand this. Put this into perspective for you. Jesus is on the cross. He's beaten on the cross. And they're having a card game about who gets to take his stuff. They're casting lots about, hey, I'm going to take his sandals. No, your feet are too small. Those are mine, right? This is the conversation that's happening as he's, these are the people who just brutally beat him with 40 lashes and the cat of nine tails. His back would have been completely exposed. His internal organs would have been falling out. He was nailed to the cross. He had to carry the cross. As he carried the cross up the hill, they whipped him constantly. He got up there. They made fun of him. They put a crown of thorns on him. They're making jokes. They're spitting on him. And what does he say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It's in this moment that when he says, Father, forgive them, he breaks the bondage and then he dies and rises again. And he's the only way that they can get to heaven. And guess what? He opens it right for them. The same people who beat him, the same people who spit on him, the same people who said, you aren't worth it. He said, come on in. The water's warm. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean? The, there's plenty of room. Check this out. To echo what Joseph said to his family, God, what they need for harm, I know you're going to use for good. Jesus knew that what they meant for harm, to destroy him, to destroy his faith, to destroy his following, God was going to use for good for the salvation of all of humanity. Jesus forgave and we need to follow his lead. Unforgiveness festers, forgiveness frees. Unforgiveness spreads hurt and forgiveness spreads freedom. Listen, I'm telling you, I know what you're thinking. Well, you don't know that. You don't know this. You don't know that. I'm, it's there's this, 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 this. Romans 12 verse 18 says this. I may not have it on the screen, but Romans 12 verse 18 says this. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul says this. As long as it depends on you, live at peace with that. So let me ask you a few questions in your relationships. Have you done everything you can? 
As far as it depends on you, can you make the phone call? Can you send the invitation? Can you invite them over for dinner? Because I know you already have the reasons in your head why this doesn't apply to you. But what if it's your time? What if what they meant for harm, God's going to bring out in good and bring healing? What if God wants to bring healing to your family like never before? I want to give you some time to respond. But I want to share with you, you can go ahead and throw that on this, the last slide on the screen, Stephen. This is just a thing if you want to take a picture of this. But this is just an easy prayer. We're most like Jesus when we forgive. And Lord, I forgive blank for this. And you got to write it out sometimes. Lord, I forgive them for this. I forgive them. And you pray that prayer. I just want to ask with heads bowed, eyes closed all over this room. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I want to respond. I have some unforgiveness in my heart. I have some things that I need to deal with. I have some bitterness. I have some hurt. I have some pain. I have some unforgiveness that I am holding on to, that I'm festering. And unforgiveness and bitterness is spreading into every area of my life. There's that family member that I hate when I talk about them. I don't talk about them. I don't mention them. There's that relationship that I'm constantly talking behind their back about who they are and what they do. But I believe God wants to bring freedom. I believe God wants to bring healing. Did you hear today? And that's you. Say, you know what? I just want prayer. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up just on the count of three, just so I know who I'm praying for. I want to pray for you. One, two, three. You shoot them up. Yeah. 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 You can lift those hands up. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you died on the cross and you set the example for us that we can forgive for even those who intended harm, God. I pray that we would not give up, that we would look that life is so long and offenses just for a moment. God, I pray that grace would abound and peace would abound that we would look at our family members, we would look at the hurt that we have in our life with new eyes, with fresh eyes today. We would know that you want to bring healing. God, I pray for healing in relationships right now. I pray for prodigal sons and daughters to come home. I pray for families to be restored. I pray for relationships to be healed. God, we just ask that you would be glorified we know that when it comes to relationships, that the heavy or this topic is so heavy and so dense, so difficult because there's real world hurts and there's real world pains. But we know that you are big enough, you are strong enough, and you are good enough. And God, we thank you today that you're here. We love you in Jesus' name. 
Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, make sure to share it and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new messages. Thanks for listening. God bless.